Hello, this is your host, Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters Project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff. The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast. So I'm really interested in teacher well-being and have been well before the pandemic. The Every Teacher Matters project was born to raise the profile of this very issue. I personally have been very concerned that the pandemic was going to exacerbate an already fraught profession. Over the past few weeks, I'm reading tweets which are stating that head teachers are feeling now already like they would usually in the last week of term. They are tired, worn out and feel like imposters. Imposters in the sense that they haven't done this before. It's um, uh, in Brené Brown's podcast, she refers to it as FFT and I won't share what that stands for on air. But in a sense that head teachers, school leaders are feeling like we don't know what we're doing, we don't have the guidance, we don't have the support and we certainly are not the medical experts. In this series of podcasts I truly want to expose what this pandemic is doing by speaking candidly with school leaders who are of course the captains of the ship. So to kickstart this special series it is my absolute pleasure to welcome today one of my former colleagues from 19 years ago who is now a high profile Twitter influencer author of The Thinking School, executive head teacher of Highlands Primary and Uphall Primary School in East London, and someone whom I massively respect for the refreshing perspective he shares openly, honestly, and authentically. My friend, my East London buddy, Dr. Colvan Atwell. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I can't tell you how pleased I am because I know how much the listeners are going to enjoy this episode of the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Welcome to you, Colvan. Well, I hope I can live up to that um, lovely uh, introduction, but um, I was did mention to you just off air before we started uh, that this is probably the most relaxing part of my day. So if I can, uh, if I can share my experiences and in any way support any of the people listening, I, I, you know, I'd be really happy to do that. Thank you, Colvan. It really is an absolute pleasure. And I have absolutely no doubt that you will be able to do that. So before we launch into some of our discussion today around what's going on, can you please just start by briefly telling us about the type of leader you are? You know, can you share what you believe in, what your core values are, and what's important to you in being a leader? Yeah, um, I think... Obviously, I, I, my background is in teacher professional learning. Um, so I've always had some concerns uh, around the education system and, and how we work in schools. And fundamentally, the, the greatest single factor, if we take out the influence of the home and beyond the school, the greatest factor that influences the quality of children learning in schools is quite simple. It's the quality of teaching. Um, and leadership is second. So my simple formula is, is how do leaders enable the development of an expansive learning environment in schools in which teacher learning is as valued as children's learning? Um, and 
as part of my doctoral research, I focused on all the factors that impact upon teacher engagement in professional learning activities. And um, without going into too much detail, what I found was that in the very institutions where the core business is learning, which is schools, the actual quality of teacher learning is really poor. So if we imagine uh, uh, over the course of a year that there are five training days and one hour staff meetings after school, which are dedicated to teacher learning, um, I don't think we're getting the best out of that system. And so during my doctoral research, I developed, I, I was introduced in my third year of my doctoral studies to workplace learning theories, um, which looks at the situated learning and, and the social environment and how it supports learning. And I looked at other workplaces. Um, and so places like hairdressing salons and um, steel worker factories and other such places, they are actually more designed to support adult learning than perhaps schools. So my conceptual framework looks at the implementation and it's called the dynamic learning community, which looks at the implementation of key formal learning activities and the argument that by enabling teachers to engage in those learning activities, they'll be able to take risks, make mistakes, be creative, critical about their practice and essentially improve. Um, so examples will be opportunities for teachers to engage in collaborative planning, to do action research, to engage with peer learning and lesson study, and to have the opportunity to coach and be coached. Um, and over the past eight years, we've developed this model at Highlands initially. And when I joined Highlands, it was a required improvement school. Um, and a lot of people disagreed. Those people who were, who were charged with telling me what to do disagreed with my approach. Um, but a simple one of my key concerns is, um, and I, I, I tweeted this yesterday, is that the average age of a teacher in the UK is younger than almost every other country, um, which means we're not keeping our teachers in the profession, we're not retaining our teachers. And um, by creating a really expansive learning environment in which teacher learning is as valued as children's learning, we create an environment in which teachers feel a sense of autonomy, a sense of empowerment. And in those eight years, we've, we've spent the grand total of £28 on advertising, recruitment and retention um, and we've recently been awarded the Mirror London Schools for Success Award for the fourth consecutive year. We're one of only, I think, 11 or 12 primary or secondary schools in London to achieve that. So we're doing something right. So our philosophy is based on the distributed leadership model, empowerment of teachers. They make the decisions about the curriculum. They make the decisions about pedagogy and real, real strong investment in teacher professional learning, which isn't unlike um, the approach in Finland. So I've got a really good understanding of how you um, come across as a leader because I follow you on Twitter and I've also got your books and I've read that. So I get a really good sense of who you are. So thanks so much for sharing with the listeners. Um, and it sounds so simple and you make it sound so simple because you live it, you breathe it, you, you know, you demonstrate it. And that comes across it in, in, in certainly in the way that you conduct yourself and, and how you are. So I love that. And actually it's the um, foundations of well-being. You know, you're looking at this collective community that it works in absolute synergy in your schools which no doubt is bringing uh, about some fam fabulous gains and congratulations there on, on the, um, the, the acknowledgement that you've received. So I'm going to go on to talking more about COVID now. Okay so if you could have decided how you were going to return in September without government instructions how would you have done it? 
Okay, so essentially we've had mixed messages throughout the process and I, I, I can appreciate how difficult it is for the government in terms of dealing with something they haven't dealt with before. Um, however, once we had opened schools, um, I mean school had been open throughout the period, um, I think the key uh, factor to take into consideration was how we were enabling children to learn and to keep adults and children safe. So even now we don't know what the science is around children and how their risk of infection and how they may spread that infection. But if, I'd, if we'd had no government instructions, essentially what we would have done is we would have um, staggered the entry and exit and points and, and, and taken into account the geography of the school to ensure that the, the key message of uh, maintaining space between adults was, was the most important thing. Um, in terms of what government instructions, they, they came so late in the day anyway that we'd already planned our mm. risk assessment. And, and government guidance has changed on a weekly basis. So my feeling was, I don't want to be uh, provide a form of childminding or babysitting and to, to have our children feel a, uh, a sense of abnormality in schools. And, and what I wanted to maintain in a primary school was this feeling of this one adult who is responsible for my learning. And my learning takes place in this room and it takes place in creative and critical ways. Um, and I'm involved in that process. The thought of, for example, having children in rows, you can't have children in rows in reception. And even then they wouldn't be distanced. So there's a lack of understanding sometimes when decisions made at a national level of actually the, the, the real-time implications. And I, I, I absolutely understand the, the implications upon school leaders of having this level of responsibility to enable um, parents and children and, and staff to feel safe. And the other thing to remember is um, in one of my schools, we have had a positive case in terms of an adult. Um, and uh, we, we went to Public Health England for, for advice and guidance and it was sensible and it was, it was according to what we had planned for. But earlier in the term, they would have wanted you to send the entire bubble home. And now they're saying only close contact. What does close contact mean? So even if you had really strong structures and routines in place, it would be stressful. If you take into account the moving goalposts, it makes it even worse. And I, I absolutely have sympathy for all those leaders out there who are having to navigate their way and to, to contain the emotional stress of the, those that they're leading. Mm, absolutely. So um, you, you've touched on it already in, in what you've described there. Um, but you also said that this is the most relaxing part of your day. Um, so, so thank you. That, uh, that is a, the privilege is all mine. But run us through what an average day has looked like for you so far. Yeah, well... Um, first of all, I have to keep my distance as much as possible from adults in terms of, in, in one of the schools I'm leading, the building works have been delayed, so there's no, there was no office for the office team, no reception area, um, no kitchen, and, and no dining hall. So that would be bad enough in a normal um, period, let alone during COVID. So a, a normal thing is, all of a sudden, the beginning and the end of the day has been extended to this massive beast. So one of the schools I lead is a five-form entry. 
and there's only one access point to the school. So the school site, yeah. Wow. So we've opened up the car park to provide an additional site for five and six. Everyone has to come in separately. So literally 840 year fours, 850 the year threes, 8.55 the year fives, nine o'clock the year twos, 9.05 the year sixes, and 9.10 the ones. So you're, you're suddenly losing 45 minutes at the beginning and the end of the day, just getting children into the site. Um, for me personally, the things that I love doing, for example, assemblies, I cannot do assemblies, right? So I have to do, I, I, if on a Monday morning, Whoever has PE Monday morning can be the assembly because we don't then have to clean the hall in between. So these children sit down in a peak it and I, get, I do an assembly with them, which is then filmed and then zoomed into every classroom. So they have a, a sense of community. Um, my background, as I said, is professional learning. I can only do peer learning within the bubble. Um, master's level students are, are doing it all via Zoom. So I'm hamstrung. The school is requiring improvement as well. And... We were, we were really moving rapidly between December and March and it's become very challenging because you lose your sense of school community. Mm -hmm. um, I don't enjoy communicating on Zoom. I don't enjoy presenting on Zoom because I don't feel that sense of interaction. Um, so, it's, so it's trying to bring a sense of normality to the most abnormal um, situation, which I find to be uh, the biggest challenge. I love my job. I love teaching. I, I, I teach as well. So I've, I've been teaching my group, um, but I'm keeping my distance at the front because I know that if something comes up, they're going to now ask for seating plans. Um, the other thing is we've, we've got two classes currently self-isolating and um, the challenge then has been to get the remote learning up and running um, because we've been working on the policy, working on the systems, so we almost had to, to kickstart it. But yesterday I was told of the two classes, one, one class had eight to attend and the other class had six. So we've got parents, some parents are keeping their children at home, they don't want them coming into school. Others are self-isolating because they've returned from countries like Romania. These children, and I'm, and, I, and I'm imagining you might ask me about this later, these children are not going to have their normal levels of attendance. They're not going to have their normal levels of experience. So any government who decides to, to, to have the same set of assessment measures is absolutely crazy because it, it would be irresponsible to say we're focused on the children's well-being, we want to focus on, on um, uh, the children's learning, yet we want you to all do SATs in May. I, I just think it's a ridiculous suggestion. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Let's see. Nothing, nothing is, is going to phase us, though. <laughs> with whatever decisions are made let's, that we can be sure of. So as, as you know, I, I run the Every Teacher Matters project and I'm really interested in teacher wellbeing and mental health. So I'm really concerned for my colleagues right now. What is the impact that you're seeing of the pandemic upon the wellbeing and mental health of your staff in the schools that you're leading? Uh, and what is the most stressful aspect for your staff, you know, returning, having returned? I think the most stressful thing, without a shadow of a doubt, is that these guys are scared. They're scared about um, having to work in, in, in an environment in which there are so many people. They're scared about having to work with a class of children where, uh, at this time of year, 
children will be coughing. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, the sound of an assembly hall is just a continuous cough. Mm. They're worried that they're going to get the virus and they're worried that they're going to pass it on to somebody else. And that is a drain. It is a strain on your well-being. Um, and in many ways, it is a strain that I can't alleviate because I cannot guarantee to anybody that they're safe. I cannot guarantee that uh, um, the scientific evidence is clear. I cannot guarantee um, that they are not at risk. And so no matter how much you mitigate risk, if you are going home every day to your family, in comparison to other people being told to work from home, you know, we don't have that option. We don't have that choice. And I, I absolutely would make it clear that I don't think in any way has this government, and, I, and this isn't a political statement, but this government has actually appreciated the work that, that schools, school leaders, teachers, all staff have done um, and the risks they are continuing to take. And that is very difficult for me because I can't answer the questions that, that people have. So this morning, you know, People are asking me about um, what happens with a positive case. Should I get tested? Shouldn't I get tested? Even, this, even the requirements that I'm working under are so unclear on a weekly basis. Um, but what I think can help is if you're open and you're transparent and you work as a team, that you're not withholding information, you're sharing a sense of care and empathy, um, and that you're leading from the front in terms of expectations for wearing a mask and keeping yourself safe. And I think um, visibility and presence is really important to be able to say that we are in a team, we, we are going to listen, we are going to work together. And I think that one of the ways in which you can do it is to make sure that your risk assessment, which is reflective and restless, so that you, you have the opportunities to, to, to take on board what people are saying and their feedback and you make changes accordingly. Um, but the stress comes from the fact that, that people are t taking risks um, and um, they are unsure of how long this is going to continue. Is it, that, it, it will have an impact on people's mental health, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Of course it will. So what you, know, what you just described there made me feel, you know, just disturbed it made me feel quite disturbed that, you know, you're leading these schools with staff that are feeling fearful and scared. And, you know, my next question to you was going to be, you know, what is the impact of mental health upon the children? Uh, and I still want to ask you that question. But before that, I just want your view on if we've got this community of teachers that are feeling fearful and scared and your, you know, your core interest is in teacher learning and to, to you know um, the, the professionalism of the knowledge that our you know your, your staff actually exhibit in the classroom so how, how must that be impacting you know maybe unconsciously but surely you know that we know that fears play out you know they play out in our behaviors so have you noticed that you know the impact of the teacher's well-being upon the the student's mental health and well-being See, see, yeah, see, um, I, I was always more optimistic uh, about our children than perhaps was expressed in the national media, because I think children are far more resilient than 
many adults because of you know adverse life experiences or whatever else and just more time to think about what could go wrong um i think there is a there is an associated impact upon children in terms of the way adults are even at a subconscious level because that 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 same level of closeness and care for example with children with special needs you're keeping your distance because you're 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 supposed to keep your distance so it will impact however my impression of the children they absolutely wanted to be back at school um they were desperate to be back in school and i think the the issues for the children are more to do with getting into school and getting out of school and once they're in the classroom they have a sense of security and well-being and i think that works in primary um my children who who uh, just started secondary um are describing it more like a prison than a school because clearly they have to move around whereas i'm pretty happy that the children once they're in class are, are displaying fantastic mental strength then we may find that as a consequence of this um awful situation that our children may develop a greater sense of resilience um and self-worth than perhaps they would have managed otherwise so we're we're working on a recovery curriculum well-being curriculum and i that you know i did my masters in in early 2000s which focused i said the curriculum should have personal social emotional health at the center of it and you know maybe this is something that's going to come to the fore because i absolutely think we need to move away from this sort of knowledge based curriculum to one that's that enabling our children to build a sense of self efficacy and self worth um and confidence so yeah i i think in in that respect the children have been fantastic yeah completely agree completely agree i i i too hope that some of the um character development that you know the pandemic does bring that to the forefront um this time because i think it's always been important it's always been necessary but if ever there were a time to reinforce that message it definitely is now yeah no i fully appreciate that so my mission uh, as, as part of the Every Teacher Matters project is to break stigma around mental health. And, you know, I'm always looking for um, discussion around this. It's really, really important that we speak our truth. Um, I'd be really grateful, Corvan, if you would share how your state, your personal state of, of mind and mental health has been affected through this pandemic. I, I have no doubt you're a, 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 you know, a person with great strength and resilience, but, you know, I'm sure there must have been times that have really tested you. And I'm, I remember reading one of your tweets that I, I can't remember what it was, but I, I felt I felt it and, and I, you know, I know I expressed my my response at the time. But tell tell us about, you know, what what's impacted you personally? What's been so most stressful for you? Well, it's interesting actually, Sneha, because no one's asked me that question before. Um, and when you first, so when you first, um, asked the question I thought I was going to answer and say well I'm a pretty resilient person because I see my responsibility to others um and that is very important for me to show that positivity and optimism which I always do um but undoubtedly undoubtedly as you as you went through the question it it it's not been a nice experience to go through um and just a couple of the things it, from from march onwards you know i remember the last sort of a day when the the children were going and numbers were dwindling 
And then on the Friday, you know, so I saw the year sixes and I just thought, well, we'll get back together, regardless of what happens for our graduation. And this sense of emptiness when the children went and this sense of um, loss almost that all the things that I was looking forward to had suddenly been taken away. Um, on a professional level, in terms of graduation, uh, of school production, um, uh, a carnival sports day. But then from a personal level, my daughter was in year six and for seven years I'd been promising to go on a school trip with her and I was gonna go in, I'd left it to the last part of the school year. And so this sort of emptiness to think that where you have, uh, you know, a belief in these endings, where you have these endings and the ending has just been taken away. And then in the weeks that went afterwards, having to contain, emotionally contain the concerns of others and literally all the best bits about my job were taken away overnight and all the rubbish bits, sorry, I mean, health and safety is important, risk assessments are important. But I'd rather, you know, I'd rather spend time with the children and let someone in the office who likes doing those sorts of things focus on that. Apologies if anyone from my office is listening to this. Um, but it, it, that was a drain on me because I realised that the, 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 the necessary difficult, challenging bits of the job are made possible by this amazing, fun experiences we get. And you take that away... And all of a sudden, the spring in your step coming to work, it's just not there. And it became like a, a, an emotional drain getting through week after week, because all I was doing was getting to the end of the week and just thinking, thank God. And I, in those first few days, I would go in and you'd have to take your, the, the clothes that you were wearing and leave them for 48 hours or wash them or whatever else. And yeah, I'm not saying you get used to it, because I am absolutely not used to this but from an optimist's point of view is i'm i'm looking forward to getting back to valuing the great things about being working in a school and being a, a school leader but i would consider myself mentally resilient and also i've been doing this job i've been ahead of three different schools over a number of years and with experience comes confidence and self-awareness and obviously i've done a lot of studying in terms of leadership but if i'm feeling those things Let's just imagine how everybody else is, everybody else is feeling. And sometimes as a leader, you, you tend to hide how you're feeling because you think you don't want to be burdening everybody else. Because every person that comes to you and say, oh, I've got a sick grandmother, I'm shielding, you're there to protect them. Um, but ultimately, you know, for, for, I was sort of meeting my mum from her front drive for, through that period. And so I'm going through the same experiences as everybody else. The other thing I would say is that, again, and not that we want anything from external bodies, but I really don't think that, that our government, you know, I, I honestly feel that I was seen as someone to mind children so that other people could go to work. So I don't care how you get those kids in, vulnerable, whatever. I don't care how, um, don't really care about the learning, stick them in rows, just make sure you look after them for the time it takes for people to go to work. And, and that isn't helpful at all. No, not at all, not at all. And um, I, I think what you've just said there is gonna resonate so much with the listeners, uh, particularly with our school leaders. Uh, thanks so much for sharing so openly 
uh, and candidly because you know what that's the point of this podcast series that's exactly what I want everyone to know that you are not alone you are not you're probably feeling very very alone I speak as a former head teacher myself it and, and everything you described there in terms of the joyful moments the assemblies the connection the personable all of those wonderful moments you strip those away it's not but it's not worth bear you know you can't bear thinking about because it's a a tough job it's a tough job and you know huge respect to, to all of you that are, are in those shoes right now so you you've touched on it but if you had a message to the politicians the decision makers what would you like to say to them okay so uh, what I'm hearing at a national level is that the children's well-being is being affected by not being in school that we could lose a generation, blah de blah de blah And I'm sorry for being flippant about it, but if you really believe that, then that has to be reflected in the actions when those children return. And so from a, from a perspective of a primary school leader, if, if we're really going to say these children miss this much, they need to catch up. We can do quite simply enable our children to catch up, for example, in year six, by saying we're not going the narrow the curriculum you're not going to have to prepare for assessments in may give us teacher assessments in july according to your own professional decision making use local moderating systems we will trust you because that will give me may june july to focus on a creative curriculum that enables well-being but has the children's core language literacy numeracy development to suggest that we continue with sats as it is is about holding schools accountable. Holding schools accountable in an environment which has not been equitable. Um, schools, particularly one of the schools that I'm leading at the moment in, in a more disadvantaged part of the world is going to suffer disproportionately through higher absence, through um, possible spread of coronavirus. The, the local authority I'm currently working in has the highest rate in London um, and if you said to me, if I was sitting there at government and, and I looked at assessment system and I said, look, keep the timetable test if you want for year four, because that's just one tiny aspect of the learning. We'll do moderated assessments for year two. Phonics assessments we can do for one and two at the end of the year, as long as you're not holding schools to account for it, that you're, you're doing it contextually. Mm. But there's absolutely no rationale for formal statutory key stage two testing in May because you can't say we're interested in teacher well-being and do that at the same time. The other thing I would say is invite some people into your meetings with Gavin Williamson or anyone else who actually knows what it's like to work in a school or be in a school. I mean if that's too difficult I'm happy to put my hand up and join you but decisions are made. Yesterday um, at one of my schools, we spent one and a half hours talking to someone representing Public Health England, giving us advice about how to maintain bubbles. Has never been working in a school, and her advice was, um, "Can't the children just stay in in the class all day long with one adult and not go out for lunch, and not not mix with any children? And can you not can you have separate play lunch times for each class? It, it's 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 difficult enough as it is." Um, and if I, if I did get my foot in the door and we kept on moving, uh, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate to spend uh, some time in the company of uh, a leading educator from Finland. And they are, you know, one of the most successful education systems in the world. 
and they do it by making sure that every teacher is martyrs level teacher that they're empowered and that they are respected professionally that there isn't a sufficient professional respect for educators in this country and that was characterized by yesterday the decision to say to make um compulsory the remote learning mate we'd already done that we had it in place but you don't trust us to do it for ourselves and support each other so yeah i'd probably be in there a while Sunita, but I um, if anybody has managed to get their foot in the door um and there's any spare seats to the table and um, give me a shout and i'm sure i can manage to find some time um and the other thing i would say is if you just came out and said that you don't know all the answers and it is difficult and we may make mistakes, but we're going to do our best and we're going to listen to professionals beyond our little circle, um, then I think we would support them and we would listen to them. And also this leading by example. And um, I, I, I'm not saying that anything to do with the, the government as it is, but really in reality, um, actually get educators to be making decisions about education. Yeah. Cool, Van. You've mentioned this. I think I know what you're going to say. And if I could get you a seat at number 10, I promise you I will. But if you were, if you really did have that seat and you were representing all your head teacher colleagues in the profession, and, and the golden question to you was, if you could have any support to get you through this year, what would it be? I, I'd, I'd go back to the... Uh, formal assessments because I think if we turned round and, and also you've got to look at um, Ofsted um, I'm, I'm not complete I mean uh, in Finland they have no um, formal testing and no inspection regime now I think that might be a step too far at this moment but I think the biggest support you could give um, primary schools right now is to tell them that we're going to trust you to make the appropriate assessments of your children at the end of this year and there won't be formal SATs. Um, and then I think we don't need, I think the visits this term by Ofsted are, are, are really a, a spying mission to find out what schools are doing to feed back to the department. I don't think they'll be of any benefit to schools. Um, and maybe they should say that, I don't know, for, for next between January and July that, that they're only going to inspect requiring improvement schools in a supportive capacity. So um, they, won't, they, they won't be visiting good or outstanding schools and they're going to see how they can support requiring improvement schools and provide some sort of professional collaborative dialogue with them to enable them who are already coming from a difficult position to navigate through this national crisis. Absolutely. I, I, I really hope that amongst the listeners, we have decision makers, policy makers, people that are making decisions out there. I really hope that they are listening. And that really, really important message of listening to the head teachers, those that are really our heroes right now, leading our schools through these really challenging circumstances. I do hope that they're listening to this and, to, and will respond, will respond in the interest of our teachers, our school leaders and our ultimately our pupils Corvan, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to you know be able to speak with you and and speak candidly about the challenges of covid pandemic thank you so so very much to take taking out some time when i know it's a very turbulent time for yourself so thank you so much well thank you for inviting me i've enjoyed it i've learned something about myself too oh thanks Corvan. pleasure has been ours thanks very very much 
I do hope you enjoyed listening to today's Every Teacher Matters conversation. It is our mission to be the voice of our amazing school staff. You can find out more by visiting everyteachermattersproject.com or contacting me directly at contact at sanitabagri.com. Thanks for listening.